It's February 24th, 2023. My name is Simone, and this is a special edition of 90s Crime Time. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode, special edition episode, I should say, of 90s Crime Time. And again, this is a special edition because I have another mini-sode for you. And on this mini-sode, I want to go ahead and warn you that some aspects of this story have to deal with sexual abuse and elder abuse. Listener's discretion is advised. And with that, let's dive in to today's mini-sode. The year was 1991, and in Holiday, Utah, a small suburb of Salt Lake City. Around this time, the city was home to around 14,000. Not much is publicly known about Holiday, at least back then. But one interesting fact about the city is that it's surrounded by beautiful scenery. The nature of Holiday is so beautiful that there were plenty of parks to indulge in such majestic views. And by all accounts, Holiday seemed like a pretty safe, likable, and friendly place to live and raise your families. But in 1991, the people of Holiday would come to find out that there was a monster lurking amongst them. And when it was revealed what he had done, it would leave Holiday residents frightened. In the following case, you'll find out what this person did, the investigation, and the shocking aftermath in a case I title, Brutal. In the year 1991, in Holiday, Utah, lived 78-year-old Lucille Johnson. Mrs. Johnson, a mother, grandmother, and fervent member of the Church of Latter-day Saints, was known as a kind and friendly soul who cherished her church, family, and friends. Even better, sources say she would dote on her grandchildren as much as she could. She was widowed for about two years by 1991, but she carried on and found a new sense of independence. On February 2nd, 1991, Mrs. Johnson's daughter, after not hearing from her for a while, which was definitely not like her, decided to drop by her home to check up on her mother. After all, Mrs. Johnson was now an elderly lady and she may have needed extra help, or may have gotten hurt. 
But when Mrs. Johnson's daughter made entry into her mother's home, Mrs. Johnson was beyond help. Police were called, and when they discovered Mrs. Johnson, she was dead, lying in her bed. And according to reports, Mrs. Johnson had been beaten to death with a blunt force object. It was also later learned that Mrs. Johnson had a fractured skull and 24 broken ribs. During the investigation, detectives learned from her daughter that Mrs. Johnson had also been robbed because she said that the necklace and ring her mother wore regularly were nowhere in sight. And they learned Mrs. Johnson was known to keep her home neat and tidy, and the scene was anything but. Whoever killed Mrs. Johnson left a big mess in her home. And curiously, near the front door of her home and across her living room were Legos laying across the floor. Her family stated that while Mrs. Johnson provided toys for her grandchildren to play with, she always made sure the toys were put away after each visit. And as luck would sort of have it, crime scene investigators found some fingerprints on the Legos, just in case they had clues on them. And they confiscated them for additional evidence. But as the days and months went by, there were no developments in the murder of Mrs. Lucille Johnson, and her case went cold, with no one knowing who would kill her. We'll come back to Mrs. Johnson's murder case, but fast-forwarding seven years later in 1998, 695 miles away in Peoria, Arizona, lived 41-year-old Trudy Calabrese. Mrs. Calabrese lived with her husband and two children, a daughter, age 10, and son, age 6. According to people who knew her, although her family, just like Mrs. Johnson, was very important to her life, Trudy was keen on serving and spreading the word of God. She was so dedicated to doing God's will that she volunteered at her local church, often helping to donate food to families in need. As a matter of fact, her pastor said of her, quote, She was very caring and compassionate, and always smiling and cheerful, end quote. But Trudy's act of kindness would unfortunately be the cause of her demise. On February 24, 1998, Trudy's church received a call from a man who said his family needed food and wondered if they could come by his home to deliver some. The church said yes and sent Trudy to the man's home. But when she failed to return back to the church after some time, her pastor called police to look for her. Police arrived at the home of 31-year-old married father of four, John Sansing, because he was the one who requested the food. When they went to question John, however, he wasn't home, 
but one of the officers noticed something odd in John's backyard. And once they crept closer, they realized it was the body of a woman, later identified as that of Trudy. The hunt was now on for John because police believed they had their obvious suspect. The next day, they found John at his sister's home and promptly arrested him. Police later upped his charges from just first-degree murder to adding kidnapping, sexual assault, and armed robbery because he admitted to taking some of Tracy's things and sexually assaulting her before killing her. And shortly after his arrest, police began to get a bigger picture of what happened to Trudy. But before we talk about exactly what happened in John's plan in full, let's talk a little about John. According to reports, even from a very young age, John was no stranger to crime. John became an addict in his teen years while living in Alabama. And to support his habit, just like he did with Trudy, he stole to take care of his fix. John was eventually arrested for his crimes and sent away to juvenile detention. Later on, still in his teens, John was sent to Utah to live with his father, but he continued his life of crime into adulthood. He eventually met his wife, Kara, and had children. But according to one report, it stated, quote, John racked up a slew of felony convictions in the state of Utah before moving his family to Arizona in 1995, end quote. And just three years after John moved to Arizona, Trudy was dead. You see, John was by now battling a severe crack cocaine addiction and needed his next fix. So he told his wife, Kara, that he was going to call the local church for a food delivery and that whoever showed up, he was going to rob them and sell their belongings for his next drug fix. And he ordered Kara to help him. That's where Trudy, unfortunately, came in. According to reports, when Trudy came by the Sandsing home, Trudy chatted with John and Kara briefly. And as Trudy started to walk away, John attacked her. While Kara helped him and with their children watching, John overpowered Trudy and bound her wrists. He then dragged Trudy into the home where he beat, stabbed, and raped her until Trudy took her last breath. According to reports, while Trudy was fighting for her life, she allegedly repeatedly said, quote, Lord, please help me. I don't want to die, but if this is the way you want me to come home, I'm ready. End quote. After Trudy was confirmed dead, John left the bedroom where he killed Trudy and looked out his window to see if any of his neighbors saw what he had done. After checking the scene, he removed Trudy's jewelry and grabbed whatever cash she had on her, which was only $1.25. He then covered her body with laundry and then went out looking for drugs. After trading some of her jewelry for drugs, John placed Trudy's body in a narrow space between the back of his shed and the fence. 
he covered her with a piece of old carpeting and other debris. The next day, John fled to his sister's home and confessed to what he had done. His father later found out what John confessed to and called police on his son and told them where he was. And John was arrested without incident. Kara was also arrested and charged with first-degree murder and kidnapping because she apparently did nothing to stop Trudy's rape or murder. She later testified that they were both on drugs and that she was being abused by John and afraid to intervene. She was later offered a plea deal and pled guilty to first-degree murder. In September 1998, Kara Sansing was sentenced to 25 years in prison. At John's trial beginning in March 1998, some of he and Kara's children testified that Trudy begged the children to call for help. But assumably due to fear, they didn't. They also testified that they witnessed Trudy crying and praying and saying she didn't want to die, and that John ordered them into another room to watch TV as he was attacking Trudy. Eventually, in September 1998, John pled guilty to first-degree murder, and a year later, in September 1999, John Sansing was sentenced to death. So by now, you may be asking yourself, why was Mrs. Johnson's case abruptly ended and Trudy's was started? Well, fast-forwarding to 2013, detectives back in Utah reopened Mrs. Johnson's murder case. And shortly after they reopened the case, they received a call from John's nephew saying he heard John and Kara arguing about Mrs. Johnson's murder and that Kara threatened more than once to call police on John about a quote-unquote elderly woman's murder in 1991. Now that they had a suspect, detectives got to work trying to find anything that would tie John to Mrs. Johnson's murder. First, the DNA found under Mrs. Johnson's fingernails was re-examined. And this time, it produced a match in the FBI's Combined DNA Index System, also known as CODIS. And the match belonged to John. The reason why police could not name him as a suspect back in the early 90s was because CODIS was a newer program at that time, and not advanced enough to name John as Mrs. Johnson's killer right away. Eventually, detectives questioned Kara about Mrs. Johnson's murder, and she confirmed that John had admitted to her around the time of Trudy's murder that he had killed an elderly woman in Utah. But there was one more aspect of the investigation police wanted to explore. What about those Legos? If you remember from Mrs. Johnson's murder, detectives found a long trail of Legos across Mrs. Johnson's floor with fingerprints. Well, when those Legos were tested, they came back as a match. Not to John, but to a possible relative of John, possibly one of his older children. So, detectives were able to come into contact with John's oldest child, who was five at 1991, and requested they do a DNA test 
to match the fingerprints found on the Legos. And ultimately, they were a match. Detectives concluded that on the day John decided to rob and kill Mrs. Johnson, he brought along his child as a possible ruse to have her open the door to him, and that his child was left to play with toys while John committed the murder. John Sansing was formally charged with Mrs. Lucille Johnson's murder in 2014, and he pled guilty. But since he was now on death row in Arizona, it is yet to be determined if John will ever face trial for Mrs. Johnson's murder. John Sansing remains on death row. The story of the murders of Mrs. Lucille Johnson and Mrs. Trudy Calabrese comes from the sources of the Salt Lake Tribune, the Arizona Republic, ABC News, and others I'll put in the notes. All right, I'm going to do a very quick opinion piece. Um, Number one that struck out to me, um, well, first off, let me say apologies if I mispronounced um, Mrs. Trudy's last name wrong. Um, It's Calabrese, I believe, um, but I don't know if it's Calabrese or Calabrese. Um, It's it's spelled C-A-L-A-B-R-E-S-E, and um, I believe it's Calabrese, but I'm not sure if it's Calabrese. Um, I do apologize for the mispronunciation if I mispronounced Miss Trudy's last name wrong. Um, But one thing that that stood out to me regarding these two cases of Mrs. Lucille Johnson and Mrs. Trudy Calabrese John committed them both. It's been proved, proven. And the thing to me, besides them uh, being brutally murdered, the, the women being brutally murdered and robbed of their things, is that he did both these crimes in front of his kids. Like, what is like what a sorry loser that is. You brought along your five-year-old child to the first murder, Mrs. Lucille Johnson's murder, um, to bring him as a ruse, and that sweet old lady would, um, you'd feel sorry for him and the child, and she let him in, and um, he, I think he knew that. I think John knew that, that he would be able to use his child to um, get into that elderly lady's home, Mrs. Johnson's home, um, scope what she had, kill her first, take her things, and, um, yeah, leave her just like, just like trash. And, um, like, like, not, not saying she was trash, but, um, saying that, you know, he just disregarded her life like that. An elderly old woman, she did a lot of things in her life where it was head of a lot of clubs, um, was involved in her church, a lot involved with her family. And, um, yeah, he probably never thought that his son's DNA would help catch him as a as a killer. Sorry if I'm getting tongue tied, you guys. Sorry about that, but probably never thought he his son's DNA from '91 would ever get him um, caught as the killer of Mrs. Lucille Johnson. And another thing with Trudy's murder, um, he really disregarded her like trash. Put her under laundry for a long time while he went to go get his crack from dealers while using again Trudy's things, not nothing that belonged to him because he was a bum and had no money, um, using 
Trudy's things, her valuables, to pawn for to drug dealers, sell to drug dealers for his crack. Like I know some um, addicts do crazy things to get what get, to get their fix, but this is just ridiculous and so sad and so terrible. And her last deed on earth was trying to help him out when she thought he needed money for food. Him and Kara needed money for food. And I also read that Kara was legit a victim of battered wife syndrome, and that she came from a culture that the man always is in charge and you do whatever the man says, and if he abuses you, he abuses you and um it's really unfortunate that she felt that she had to go along with john's misdeed and hurting and killing trudy just so because he was the man and that just is so sad and um i don't know if she's still in prison but she was sentenced to 25 years in 1998 so i'm assuming she's still there um I don't know if there's a chance of parole, but it's really sad and very sad for their children having to witness both crimes. At least one of them commit, saw both crimes committed or heard both crimes committed. And um, John prayed on the vulnerable. He prayed on the church ladies. He prayed on one elderly lady. He prayed on a volunteer church lady. And um, that's really pathetic in my life. Um, and I think it's kind of a cowardly move. It is a cowardly move. And um Shout out to his father for turning him in, because who knows what he would have done next to get his next fixed. There could have been a third victim or a fourth victim or how many, who, who knows how many victims he would have had to get his crack fixed if his son, if his father, excuse me, had not turned him in. And um, why would, and my question is, why would he go to his sisters? Um, I believe most criminals would try to like run away as far as possible if they could, if they knew they had committed a crime or two. Um, not to a relative's home. I thought that was kind of stupid. But then again, he didn't have much money. So I don't know where he would have gone or I don't know. But it's just really, really sad all around. And um, I'm glad Mrs. Johnson finally got her justice years later. Better late than never. And um, I'm a, um, yeah, I don't know. I just it's just really sad and pathetic. And John, I don't know if he should be where he is. Um, he's on death row. Um, I, I, I've mentioned before that I'm neither for nor against death row. It's, it is what it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, some people agree with it. Some people don't. I just think he deserved the harshest pun, a harsh punishment. I don't know if it, he necessarily do. I don't know if he necessarily needed death row, but he may have, I don't know. It's up to your opinion on that. I'll leave it at that. Um, but I do like sometimes a good life without parole, which is be, you know, for some people and I do believe John deserved that too or either one at this point um, because John does not need to be back on the streets and I do think in my mind I hope Kara has uh redeemed herself I hope that when she is released um she goes on to live a life that has um regret um and what she hated um aiding John in that murder maybe she'll be um free and redeemed hopefully and she will be clean and she doesn't have to go through this again um yeah that's it and thank you again for tuning in to another episode of 90s crime time i apologize again if um because i was tongue-tied i've been tongue-tied um because i've been kind of sick the past few days and um yeah i've been going through a lot but i do I am glad that you have listened, and um, when I get really passionate about certain cases, I tend to get tongue-tied and talk a little fast, but if you don't like my opinion piece, you can always fast forward. I totally understand. Just wanted to give my point and my opinions out there from what I observed in these two cases. 
And before I get to the closing, I would like to share something very, very uh, brief that is near and dear to my heart. And that is, if you follow 90s Crime Time on Instagram, which is the primary social media site for the podcast, you may have learned that I have talked about my mother's health struggles and how sometimes she needs some help in some of her medical care. Um, I don't like to talk too much about um, her situation because she's a very prideful person, but lately, due to unfortunate spikes in medical cost, we have been having a little trouble funding her meds and other health concerns. And I say all this to say, if you would like to help my mother, I have put a GoFundMe link in the 90s Crime Time Instagram bio for you to donate if you'd like and if you can. Um, small or large, medium-sized, if you can. Um, it'll only be up for a week or so because I don't want to seem as if we will be needing help for a long time. Just right now, just a little extra boost for right now, if it is possible for you. Again, it's definitely not mandatory. Um, just if you'd like to help, we would appreciate it, even if you send over good vibes and prayers. Um, I do appreciate each and every one of you, whether you donate or not. Um, I do appreciate the love you have given 90s Crime Time and me and the support. Really appreciate it. And I'm here for you um, as much as possible if you need anything from me. Just for right now, if you would like to donate, I'd keep the uh, link up on the 90s Crime Time Instagram page just for a few days, maybe max a week. And me and my mother do appreciate it. And um, that's it. Thank you again for tuning in to another special edition episode, mini-sode of 90s Crime Time, and I hope you found this episode interesting. And you are in luck, because tomorrow will be the premiere of another 90s Crime Time mini-sode, and there will be a full-length episode releasing either Wednesday or Thursday of next week. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you again for tuning in, and I'll see you tomorrow for a brand new mini-sode of 90s Crime Time.